This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 24th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The Bernie Sanders campaign advocates a $15 minimum wage. Workers for the campaign say they should be paid at least $15 an hour. Cato's Ryan Bourne says there are obvious trade-offs when wage floors are introduced, and it's important to consider who is harmed and helped by those policies. Bernie Sanders recently had, I don't know if you'd call it embarrassing, but at least a, a notable um, tiff with some of his his own campaign workers where they basically made the case that they're working for less than $15 an hour. And that's something that the campaign should take seriously uh, as a matter for the campaign itself, uh, just as he is sort of demanding that essentially all workers be paid a, a specific wage by their employers. So what? how did that get resolved? Well, you really couldn't script this story. Essentially, um, Bernie Sanders has a number of field staffers on his campaign who are currently paid an annual salary of about $36,000 per year. Now, they've been complaining that they're actually working up to 60 hours per week. And so if you account for the number of weeks that they work for that salary, um, they say that that's the equivalent to just $13 per hour. It should be noted that campaign workers, like just in general, work a lot. Sure. Yeah. They put in extraordinary numbers of hours over often shortish time periods. There's an expectation that, you, that you're that you going to work uh, above and beyond the call of ordinary office hours. Uh, but given Bernie Sanders has described $15 per hour as the bare minimum that people should be earning, a kind of living wage and something that he wants to institute through federal legislation... Uh, the unions representing those workers have said, well, actually, we should see a rise in salary commensurate with um, the, the number of hours that we're doing to fulfill these campaign activities. Now, interestingly, at least while those discussions continue, what the Sanders campaign has essentially done is just capped the hours that staff can work such that their current salary equates to no less than uh, $15 minimum wage per hour. Now, why is that significant? Well, I think it serves as a useful lesson in some of the trade-offs associated with hiking pay. Um, in order to raise the hourly pay of his staff, um, Bernie is having to restrict the number of hours they work. So presuming that those workers were at least doing something productive in the additional time uh, that they currently spend campaigning, that hour cap represents a fall in the overall product of the workers, and so one imagines will weaken the campaign. And and the Sanders campaign has chosen to take that course of action rather than adjusting the campaign in other ways, say by laying off some start field staffers or cutting back on other campaign expenses or investing more in um, automation in the form of electronic um, electioneering because it thinks that those other alternatives to um, raising the hourly pay would be worse. And these are exactly the sorts of considerations that individual firms have to think about when they're facing mandated wage flaws, as Bernie Sanders advocates at a federal level. You've sort of catalogued some of the arguments, uh, bad arguments, I suppose, for uh, raising the minimum wage. What's the biggest one that we actually hear out in the field? Well, there's a range of different arguments that one hears, but 
Um, in economic terms, the three that you hear most often is that the federal minimum wage um, hasn't kept up such that it keeps people out of recognized official definitions of poverty, that it hasn't kept up with the cost of living in various areas, and that it hasn't kept up with um, the overall, say, median wage in the economy or average productivity, some measure of of where the economy broadly has gone in terms of wages or, or productivity. Now, all of those arguments, I think, are um, bad metrics by which to judge minimum wages. I think the, the main consideration we should think about when setting minimum wage policy to the extent that we have it is to set it such that it doesn't have um, deleterious consequences in, in the labor market in terms of jobs or hours uh, offered for, for low-skilled, low-wage employees. Um, but these other arguments are, are bad metrics for, for a number of reasons. So poverty is a bad metric because many people that earn uh, less than Bernie Sanders' desired minimum wage are actually not poor, not in poor households. We usually define poverty by in terms of households. And a 2017 Government Accountability Office report found that just 13% of families with a worker earning an hourly wage between, say, $7.25 and $12 per hour were in poverty. So it's a very, very badly targeted poverty reduction measure. Um, and actually can raise poverty for certain people if they find that they can't get um, hours or jobs as a as a result of firms facing this increased cost. So poverty, it doesn't, it's not particularly targeted. The cost of living is very, very different across different areas of the country. Um, that's one reason why lots of states and localities have been setting their own minimum wages. But it's also driven by lots of factors. Um, outside of the labor market. So it's not entirely clear why firms should set their wages to compensate people for uh, their rents or fuel bills rather than actually pay them um, for the work they're doing. And just finally, um, it can also be a mistake to, to try and set minimum wages such that they track economy-wide measures of productivity. Um, even though the uh, productivity of the economy, of course, goes up over time, uh, many minimum wage jobs are in industries that are incredibly difficult to find productivity improvements um, over time. And one example that I give of this in, in the briefing paper that I've written is if you look over the past 30 years at productivity in um, premises that sell alcohol, so bars, pubs, um, and the like, Productivity in terms of labor, the output per hour worked of labor has actually fallen over the last 30 years. So if you'd pegged the um, at the minimum wage to that measure of productivity, then the minimum wage would have fallen over the past 30 years. So what happens at an aggregate level is not always reflective of the labor market conditions um, it, for, for minimum wage jobs and minimum wage industries. So a lot of these arguments for trying to peg the minimum wage to some specific measure or make make sure that it keeps pace with some measure of uh, that indicates productivity or or CPI or something like something like that. Um, don't you think that's just just a way for uh, political actors to uh, make people feel better about whatever this wage is that it that the benefits will be more long standing than they otherwise might be? I think that's probably right. Um, 
because even in countries where the minimum wage over the past 20 years has um, increased more quickly than the productivity of the general economy, people still make the case for an even even higher minimum wage. Um, so I think that 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 insight is is probably right. They're using these um, economic metrics um, as a kind of intellectual justification for for something that they'd want to do anyway. Now this isn't to to dismiss uh, low pay as a problem, um, but it's a very tough nut to crack. Um, low pay is often is reflective of low productivity, and that can be something driven by. Uh, poor education and, and training for certain workers. It can be driven by lack of labour market experience, in, in turn made worse sometimes by by high minimum wages. Um, it can be reflective of um, lack of investment by certain businesses and, and in certain industries. Um, sometimes driven by by bad policy, in particular, or you know, or policies that stop the economy adapting to new higher tech, more productive industries through things like trade protectionism. So there's a lot of small micro things that can actually worsen the productive potential of the economy. But of course, it's much easier for policymakers to look at a problem, low pay, and think that we can just flick a switch or sign a bill that that, that raises pay for, for workers with no trade-offs. And I think that's just a wrong reading of the evidence. Now, look, if minimum wages are set very conservatively, I think there is an argument that looking around the world, if if they are set conservatively, they don't seem to have massive consequences in terms of employment opportunities for low-skilled workers. But raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour is a much bigger jump in the level of the minimum wage. And I think some of the evidence we do have from papers done on cities like Seattle so show that when you increase the wage to very high levels, you do start seeing these negative trade-offs that I've talked about. Are there any Democrats uh, running for president who either do not believe that the minimum wage ought to be a federal issue or do not support uh, hiking the minimum wage? I'd have to go through and look at each individual's um, campaign pledges, but I think amongst the main candidates, or at least the candidates who are polling well at the moment, I think there seems to be across the board belief that the minimum wage at a federal level should be uh, increased. Um, there was a vote last week, of course, in the House of Representatives, which passed along with where a $15 minimum wage by 2025 bill did pass pretty much along party lines. I think it was 231 to 199, with only three Republicans voting for the bill and six Democrats opposing it. So this does appear to be an issue where there's almost um, unanimity um, ac across the Democratic field. But one thing I would say about that, and it links into your question, is that to the extent that you are going to have minimum wages, um, I think it's much more defensible to uh, to consider the idea that policymakers at a state, local, or even city level who are taking into consideration the local labour market conditions of their economy are better placed to set that wage than uh, somebody sitting in Washington, D.C., uh, not least because there are huge differentials in productivity and, um, and, and labor demand and supply across different areas of the country. Now, that's not to say that um, local policymakers can't make 
bad decisions or set minimum wages uh, such that they don't really account for the labour market conditions in their locality. But I, I think that that experimentation um, of policy, of, of labour market policy more broadly, um, is a much better way of, of um, dealing with this issue than, than a top-down federal mandate across the whole country. And of course, to a certain extent, this debate is a bit of a misnomer because we have already seen state and local governments experimenting with their minimum wages. I think I'm right in saying 29 states and DC currently have minimum wages higher than the federal um, minimum. Uh, certain cities have higher minimum wages still. You've got New York has got a $15 minimum wage. SeaTac uh, in Washington, I think, is the highest, where it's just over $16 per hour. And if you take into the consideration all of the populations that live under higher minimum wage ordinances or mandates, um, some economists have calculated that already the effective average minimum wage across the country is close to $12 an hour. Um, and you know, to the extent that you're going to have minimum wages, I think it is much more sensible to have them set at a local um, as local a level as possible, such that um, you do take into consideration those local labor market conditions. Ryan Bourne is author of the new Cato Economic Policy Brief, Bad Economic Justifications for Minimum Wage Hikes. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.